Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Well, EJ, a lot happened in week four. Uh, We are recording this episode on a beautiful Tuesday morning. Uh, Normally we do it on Monday morning, but we were on travel this week on Monday, or at least I was, uh, because we were in Dallas at the Cowboys-Patriots game. Uh, SeatGeek was nice enough to provide us with uh, some field passes for that one and uh, really, really good seats in uh, in Jerry World, which is a palace of a stadium, by the way. If you guys have never seen a game in Dallas, please go do that. It's awesome. Um, that is not a full game that we're going to be breaking down today because there wasn't a whole lot about it to break down other than uh, Mac Jones maybe having the worst game of his career. Uh, but before we touch on that, EJ, how you doing? Have you recovered, recovered from your flight? I know you did Texas and then Cowboys back-to-back this weekend, so you're you're probably on as little sleep as I am. Yeah, we do not lead the league in sleep, and that's okay. It's not a metric that we need to have you know, at the top of the charts. But yeah, no, I got a little bit of sleep when I got home. It's all right. It was great to be in Texas. Um, it's a great football state. We said that last year when we were there everybody in that state seems to be in love with football. Most of them with either the Cowboys or the Longhorns or both. And it's always really fun to go dip our toes in that particular pond and, and hang out down there, see all the festivities. And I do have to say a lot of people get on Jerry, but uh, I've been to a lot of stadiums now and nobody opens a game better than the Cowboys. Like it is. an event. It looks like a concert or a movie premiere every time. And a lot of teams do nice stuff to open the game, but if they want to up their game, they should probably be chasing the Cowboys. He Jerry is an entertainer. He understands that it is entertainment and he delivers. And that's that's pretty impressive. So great stadium to go to. Like you said, I'm good. We had a lot of fun football. It's fall. It is fully fall. Maybe not down there, but up here it's, you know, in the 40s in the morning. I've got, you know, Oktoberfest beer in the fridge. I had a slice of a pumpkin donut yesterday, like let's go it's it's football time uh not great football time though for mac jones like we mentioned um the the only real note i'm going to give on this game beyond just it was the trip from hell for the patriots in general because you know you got the judon injury you got the gonzo injury they're down to like their fourth and fifth corner as it is even before gonzo got hurt um but beyond that you're just you're you're not going to win many football games when mac plays like he did on Sunday. It was careless. It was panicked. I understand Vidarian Lowe gave up a lot of pressures. That was a factor. The sack fumble was a factor. Um, but at the same time, Mac, you saw the guy coming. You knew he was behind you. I don't know, maybe secure the ball because you know you're going to get chopped from behind. 
the pick six to Bland was really bad. Like he ran himself into pressure on that one. That one, one that one wasn't even the offensive line's fault. Like they picked up the stunt and then he ran back into the pressure and panicked and threw back across the field late outside the numbers, which is just stupid. <laughs> like middle school that's, quarterbacks get told not to do that. That's the full um, checklist of everything that's bad in one throw. <laughs> literally everything that you could no. do wrong. He did wrong on that throw. And then the second pick to Bland, who I know you were a massive fan of when he was coming out. Um, the second pick to Bland, again, you know, he sees the shallow develop late and then takes two extra ticks to decide to throw it and then throws it off his back foot late. And it's it's uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the third almost pick to Bland. The sec the second actual <laughs> pick to Bland was another one. It was like fourth and two where. uh this one was partly on the receiver. I think Mac expected there to be a rub and there wasn't a rub, but like still again, he's throwing it late outside the numbers. Like it, it, the fact that I'm getting his turnover worthy plays confused with each other because there were five of them in one game is really concerning. And I would say all of them, literally all of them were primarily Mac's fault, not his offensive line, not his receivers, all five of those plays. Um, were honestly the difference in the game because they were hanging in there before the turnovers. Like they were, they were really hanging in there. Their red zone defense was doing really well against a very bad Cowboys red zone offense. Um, it, it was, it was honestly the difference. And I, I just don't think the Patriots long term can look around the AFC and look at all these other young quarterbacks that are doing amazing things and say, yeah, we can compete with that with number 10. I just, I don't think you can do that. We talk about ways to build teams. And if you're going to build a team without a super weapon quarterback, if you are not going to be at the top of the draft to go get one of those guys, which is where you need to be to grab them. Typically they're not going to come available on the market. If you're going to have to play with a good, but less than that starter, you're going to build the team around them. You're going to surround with weapons. You're going to try and make sure that you can win in different ways. And you need your quarterback to be at least sharp. You need them to be efficient. You need them to be safe with the football and not give other teams extra possessions, especially if they have one of those super weapon quarterbacks. And Mac has shown that he can do that in the past. He can be surgical. He can be sharp. He can make sure. But your margin of error for playing that way is very, very small because you're not going to can't win a boat race. Your defense has to hold them down like all the all the factors on the football team have to be complementary and they have to play together and you can win that way, but you can't do that with a quarterback who looked like he turned his brain off about midway through the second quarter <laughs> and made a lot of bad choices with the football got you behind. And at that point, like the air went out of the balloon. I put out a tweet to, you know, burn the Boston ships. The Patriots just surrendered because at that point, everybody knew everybody on that sideline knew they couldn't come back. There was not going to be any, miraculous like oh we got a quarter and a half we can make the game out of it it was over it was effectively over and that for the first time max had his up and down games before he's had a lot more i would say up than down generally when he's been supported and had a good offense but felt like he had that in this and i openly wondered about the future of quarterbacking in new england and i've not done that with since they drafted mac and i looked at that game and went if you're going to get two or three of these a year and your margin in the other games, even when he's playing really, really well is small. If you have a bad year, which if you look at their remaining schedule, it looks like they're going to, 
and you're near the top of the draft and it is a very good draft It is shaping up to be a very good draft for quarterback. If you're new England, do you pull the trigger and move on? And I've not said that yet. And I did after Sunday. So they're one and three right now. Uh, they're only win being a five <laughs> right now. Yes. Right. Yeah. But they got the saints coming up, which possibly winnable uh it depends again it's a tough defense we'll see the raiders is possibly winnable but i don't feel great about it uh and then you got the bills they're gonna get absolutely annihilated and then you got the dolphins they're gonna get annihilated again then you got the commanders if howell keeps playing like this that one's probably not winnable and then you got the colts which anthony richardson's doing superhuman things every single week uh and and we'll talk about them coming up here pretty soon as well but you could potentially if the Saints and Raiders games don't go their way, you could potentially be looking at like one and nine going into Thanksgiving week. And then you're you're firmly in the Caleb and May sweepstakes at that point, you know, like you're out of it. So I don't know. It's rough. Uh, it's rough. I, I, Patriots fans have not experienced this in over two decades like they've experienced some mid teams they've missed the playoffs a couple times they've not been objectively bad since like clinton was president so uh and there were a lot for them <laughs> there was a lot that traveled to dallas there were a mm -hmm. lot of new englanders and i'm not talking about transplants like <laughs> these are northeasterners through and through i grew up there they're fairly easy to spot um they were there, you know, some of them showing their colors. Uh, and that is a that is a rough trip to take. Look, I, I realize you get the good weather um, and the great food and you, and you probably have a good time with your friends. But that was not a fun game to sit through. A lot of them had very good seats around us. And, you know, they paid a fair bit of money for those that that can't feel good to go see your team get absolutely just flopped uh, by the home team. You know, they handled it. They've seen worse winners, I guess. But uh, it, yeah, in terms of New England football being bouncing off the bottom bad, it's been a long time. Uh, well, let's get to something uh, slightly less depressing, but also in the AFC East, our first quote unquote real game that we're breaking down here. Um, Dolphins versus Bills. You know, this was one that we previewed. And we, we gave a whole bunch of different stats and we, we gave a whole bunch of different theories about what may or may not happen because it was <laughs> unstoppable force meets a movable object. It was a crazy Dolphins offense versus an elite Bills defense. Um, it was a uh, elite Bills offense versus a Dolphins defense that we thought at least had the tools to maybe slow them down. Um, and it, it, it ended up being a, a very one-sided affair. Uh, it I don't want to say that the Bills have entirely separated themselves from the rest of the AFC uh, because, again, I remember week one. I remember that occasionally Josh will have those random games and you never know when they're going to happen. But when this Bills team plays up to their level, uh, plays up to their capability, I don't think there's another team in the AFC that can beat them, even Kansas City. And this game was one of those games where they played up to their capability. They were surgical on offense. Josh played one of the best games that he's played. And this is lofty. I know he's played one of the best games that he's had over the last few years. Like he was absolutely unbelievable. Um, the defense was amazing. Like they don't even have Vaughn back and 
Like their pass rush was exceptional. Uh, they could not pass protect for Tua at all. Um, you know, they, they unfortunately lost Trey to the Achilles, but overall, I thought the secondary played as well as they possibly could. They gave the pass rush more time to get home. Like this was a complete football game in the trenches, at the skill positions, in the secondary, at the quarterback position. The game plan was great. And I think it showed, or rather, it reminded us what Buffalo can truly be. We'll see if they can be this the entire year because they they do tend to have a little roller coaster up there every single year. But if they play like this, I'm not sure there's anybody that can beat them. They're a juggernaut. They're balanced. And they're balanced within the offense, which we haven't seen. They're running the ball. It is complete running back by committee with three guys. Like, if you're a fantasy player, the Bills backfield is driving you nuts right now. <laughs> but in terms of what works in reality on the field, it's an equal balance between the three guys, but they're using them. They still had running back by committee last year, but they would run it like 10 times, like 12 times. They're not. They're staying committed to the run. It's balanced. It's making it work. I'm not going to complain about that. Diggs is still Diggs. Um, remember all that fuss hubbub in the offseason? Yeah, that, yeah, that me, quieted down real quick, huh? Me, me neither. I don't remember that either because Diggs is Diggs. Uh, games that count. Six for 123 touchdowns. That, that's Diggs. Like that's that's what he's there for. He's a dominant weapon. He's got a great connection with Josh. There was a, a lot of hue and cry, a lot of worry in the summer about what was happening there. Now games count. Big ones. He shows up. Not surprising. Kincaid and Knox are acting as the safety outlets um, rather than the backs for sort of those flat, short throws. And Josh is using them. So they didn't have a ton of yards, uh, they, you know, not a ton of scoring plays, a bunch of catches, though. And they were key catches. He hit them when he should hit them. Right. When you should throw the check down or you should throw it away. He's hitting those guys. And that is really important to that balanced playing within himself game. We talked about don't try and force it 20 yards downfield just because you're Josh Allen. Take the six yard check down to Knox, take the eight yard, you know, little crosser to Kincaid. Like, and he did that and it moved the offense. And then those shots opened up to Diggs and to Gabe Davis and to everybody else. And when they play that sort of balanced on offense, very, very difficult to stop on defense. Russo hype is paying off. He had a bunch of hype coming into the season. He looked terrific. He got to two it twice. The rest of the D line, like you said, even without Vaughn, came in waves. Oliver, Jones, Floyd, all pitching in to keep the pressure on. Secondary led by a star. They have a lot of injuries, but Micah Hyde, who showed up. And then all those complimentary pieces that we always like that the Bills go, you know, pick is either UDFAs or low-round picks or trades. Guys like Teron Johnson and Dane Jackson had important contributions in this game. And it came together like the secondary didn't drop off against Miami. Let me Let me rephrase that. Against the team that came in, you know, putting up like 700 yards, 70 points, like what looks to be like a patchwork secondary again because of the injuries held up all day, largely supported by the pass rush. Sure, but you still got to deal with those guys downfield, and they did. You put together a balanced game plan like that, offense and defense both clicking, offense staying super balanced, defense in a way staying super balanced between pass rush and pass coverage. This is not an easy team to beat, and they beat them by a bunch. I will say the cadence of this game um, should be noted in the sense that it started <laughs> out it started out like a track meet, right? It started out 
uh, actually not even a track meet. I, I would more liken it to like professional arm wrestling, right? Where they're, they're feeling each other out in the beginning. It's going back and forth. The, the first five possessions of this game were all touchdowns, right? It was 21-14 Buffalo. And then Miami has the ball um, and they're, they're going to try to go answer stalled due to penalties. Like that was a big factor in this game. They had eight penalties for almost 100 yards. So that drive stalled due to penalties. And then on their next drive, they had a, a third and two opportunity to had a ball, a bad ball, go to Mostert, behind Mostert, incomplete, okay, punt. Um, and then the, the, the drive after that, there was the fumble. In the meantime, Buffalo had two scoring drives. So all of a sudden it was 28-14 and then they had a field goal. So it was 31-14. So it was it was like, uh, again, arm wrestling where you're going and then the first guy just loses a tiny little bit of leverage and then they pounce. Right. They curl the wrist and it's like, oh, I got you, you know, so they were going, they were going and then they lost a little bit of momentum and got flattened. I think this very easily could have gone the other way, just knowing Miami, if if a similar thing happened to Buffalo, right? Uh, if you stumble a little bit, you have uh, a turnover, you have a drive stall to penalties like Miami is talented enough to also do that to Buffalo. But that's just not what happened this week. So I think before we we say, oh, well, Miami's just not ready for the big time. I would caution you against that. <laughs> Again, this team just beat somebody by 50. I would caution you against that. I think overall, uh, overall, Buffalo has shown that as a team, they are a more complete team than Miami right now. Um, but I, I caution people against saying that Miami is is not it, or that or that Miami is is far in the distance among AFC contenders. Like this game proves something. It, it doesn't to me. I think Miami's still going to be there in the end. But at the same time, uh, if you give Buffalo an inch, they will take a mile. Absolutely, they will. Their pass rush is too good. Their offensive line was great at pass protecting. Like we said, Josh, when he's playing, like he's perfectly capable of playing. There's a very short list of names that I would put ahead of him, if any. So I, I think this game was just overall an excellent reminder of um, don't fuck up against the top of the league because you can get away with making mistakes against the Patriots. You can get away with making mistakes uh, against you know the Titans, or the Jaguars, if you make a mistake against Buffalo, they will bury you. It's true. We need to settle something very important, though. What's that? A, ch a chain or a chan? Is there a I've debate said, about what it is? I've said a chain basically the entire time that I've known him as a player, like scouting him, texting him, like, you know, a chain, a chain, a chain, a chain. On Sunday, Jim Nance repeatedly said A-Chan, and he's usually pretty well-researched, pretty well-schooled. They sit with these guys. So I was like, it hit my ear funny, and I was like, uh-oh, have, have I been saying it wrong the whole time? Or did he pull one of those changes where he sat down and said, actually, it's it's A-Chan, but everybody says A-Chan. Anyways, A-Chan, A-Chan, same player, ridiculous. In his last two games, 304 yards rushing, another 50 receiving, and six six touchdowns two games yeah so we got excited about his fit we thought he would be a really good compliment to Mostert, really good sort of one-two punch in the mold of what san francisco's done in the past with their sort of stable of backs and just being able to bring them in waves 
we didn't expect this. He is exceeding expectations and, again, makes that team incredibly dangerous. Miami didn't play bad, but like you said, Buffalo just didn't let up. They played balanced, and they just rolled over them and then didn't stop. And that's great news for Bills fans. It's not the end of the world for Miami fans. They are going to beat a lot of good teams this year. They are going to be there in the end, and they will have made adjustments, and then and then we'll see. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Uh, all right, second game here, Commanders-Eagles. You have been a champion of <laughs> Sam Howell uh, since since he was still at North Carolina. Uh, since the year before he came out in the draft, you have been a champion of Sam Howell. Uh, this game, I'm sure, was as cathartic as any game that you've seen in quite some time. I, I give you the floor first on this one. This, to me, was the Sam Howell arrival game. He's played a lot of interesting football. He got a few games at the end of last year, too few, according to us, and too late. We wanted to see him earlier. That wasn't the organization's decision. A uh, ton of change happens in the offseason. We covered that in the offseason preview. Ownership moves on, which is extremely rare. Uh, EB comes in as the offensive coordinator. They have a ton of pieces, and I get really excited. I look at the roster and say, okay, this is a chance to maximize. If Howell's going to win, he's going to do it in these circumstances. What Howell did in the fourth quarter is not regular young QB stuff. It was special. I've seen him put a team on his back in college several times, but this is against the Eagles. <laughs> this isn't college. This is the team from the NFC that went to the Super Bowl and has been playing quite well this year. Against them, he literally wills his team to overtime. Tough as nails, cold as ice, loved it. This is what I was hoping to see out of him this year. If I had hopes, they were this. They were not above this. If he did this, he had arrived. He was going to be a force. He was going to be somebody that could key that offense the way that EB wanted it to be keyed. And that was going to unlock people like Terry McLaurin. And, you know, I, look, McLaurin's a great Ron Dotson eventually, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know his name was going to come up. Uh, but it was going to make the commanders a real force in the NFC East, which is already was, based on power score, the most, the best division in football last year. And now what was a team at the quote-unquote bottom of that division was going to be ripping wins off teams at the top and they didn't win versus the Eagles, but they sure could have. And a lot of that you have to like lay directly at Sam Howell's feet and say, if he didn't play as well as he played on Sunday in adverse conditions, the Eagles can rush the passer and they beat the hell out of him. And yeah. he just kept coming like, kept coming up with great throws, kept hanging in the pocket, taking hits and making, you know, big connections in key minutes. And that last drive, that last three or four minutes, special, special stuff from Sam Howell. So just sort of note it. If you're a commander's fan, go, Hey, it's maybe not, I hesitate to say the guy, right. But you got a guy that you can win with that is playing above league average right now. And that was cool to see for sure. 
Uh, shout out to Reed Blankenship, by the way, for sacrificing his arm to uh, apparently keep Terry McLaurin's foot out of bounds. I'm still not 100% convinced that was incomplete. I I get it. I get why they ruled it that way. I don't know. It was it was a controversial call. It's controversial. I know Eagles fans are like, it was incomplete. Shut up. Uh, but I hell of a close. throw. It was, it was a great throw. I will say that. That is that, you throw. cannot deny it was a great no. throw. Um, I will say on the Eagles side of things, yes, Sam Howell had a great game. Uh, AJ Brown had a better one. <laughs> he absolutely annihilated Emmanuel Forbes in this one. And when I first saw the stat line, because I, I didn't watch this game live. I watched it uh, yesterday, Monday, after I landed. Uh, it was one of the first games that I watched. And I came back and I and I saw a stat from Forbes that he gave up nine catches for 197 yards and two touchdowns. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> like I, I know how I know how PFF charts the quote unquote catches given up. And a right. lot of the times it's debatable. It's like, oh, you're in a zone coverage. Who's the closest defender? But it's not like, oh, they gave up those catches. So I went back and I watched every single one of them. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the real number. Holy shit. It, nine for a buck, 97 and two touchdowns. And it was in zone. It was in man. It was uh, poor effort in terms of pursuit after the catch, it was one of the worst, rather one of the harshest welcome to the NFL moments that I've seen for a young quarter. And not that A.J. Brown at 230 pounds is a great matchup for a 166-pound corner anyway, but, you know, speed is supposed to be like his calling card. It's like, okay, he's light, but he's quick and he's fast and he can get back in position. Like, A.J., dusted him like just in terms of straight up speed AJ dusted him did not let him recover at all uh so it, he just couldn't run with him and Jack's insistence to still leave him in position where he had to run with AJ Brown alone down the field I thought was a questionable one uh this defense <laughs> is very very quarters heavy mm. they're very very man coverage heavy um you know they're third in quarters in the entire NFL right now. And 52% yeah. of their coverage calls are either quarters, quarter, quarter, half, or cover one. So again, they they play like they can leave their guys on islands, but they can't leave their guys on islands. Like Devonte, Devonta uh, Smith had a big ball against Forbes down the field. AJ obviously did AJ things. Um, and so they're, they're playing a defensive style that doesn't protect these young guys, in particular doesn't protect Forbes. And it's it's costing them games right now, you know, like they're 11th in cover two, which is fine, but they're 29th in cover three. And if you're looking at the mechanics of cover three, it's it's basically like the only defensive structure where a you can stop the run effectively because you got an extra body down there. But B, it protects the corners, right, because they can play over the top and, and they can they can stop you from getting vertical as long as you have you know, some sort of zone help underneath, but worst case scenario, you can rally and tackle. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, like cover three is meant to be like the safe defensive structure. That's why it's the main coverage that everybody plays. Almost 40% of all coverage calls across the league are cover three. Washington's about half that at a little over 20%. So they play a very risky defense in terms of structure, but they don't have the dudes to get away with it. You know, because Forbes just isn't there yet. And so, 
you know, I, I think that's that's a big reason why they lost this game is is Del Rio just wouldn't wouldn't adjust. Like he saw what was happening to his young rookie corner and he just he didn't throw him a lifeline at all. It was it was kind of unfair to the kids, you know, like I felt bad for him after a while, but it was uh, it was not a good game for Del Rio. It was an excellent game for Howell. And I would I would like to see them make just a little bit of a schematic change on defense so that Howell doesn't have to put in a Herculean effort every single week just to get to overtime. They're going to have to find that balance. Del Rio was stubborn. Typically, the best coaches in the NFL after four or five to A.J. Brown, they were sizable chunks. I mean, nine for 175 and two TDs. These are these are not small throws. These are not dink and dunk. Most of them were not um, heavy yak throws like he got yak, but it was, you know, when he caught the ball, he was even with Forbes and, you know, either wrestled it away from him or just ran away from him. Like you said, after four or five of those big chunk plays, you got to say, okay, like my young guy's getting destroyed. I'm going to start bracketing that guy. And yeah, they still have Devonta Smith. And yeah, it's not necessarily would have stopped them, but it would have made them shift. And as a defense, you want to make them shift. You just don't want to keep giving it because the Eagles are smart enough to keep taking it. Right. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm impressed by their new offensive coordinator. I think he's good. He's fun. Um, and he's smart enough to just keep the hammer down. He's like, look, we've got an advantage here. And if they're not going to stop us and they're not going to shift the coverage to make it harder for us to do that, we're just going to keep doing it. And they did. <laughs> and yeah. that was what you eventually saw with Forbes. Devonta Smith, you mentioned that huge catch down the field. Just another example of how skilled and tough he is. That was um, completely in phase with the defender. That was not eye dusted. That was high point. Tip the ball to yourself. Catch it on your stomach as you're going down on your back from that height. Get up and say, yeah, first down. Anybody that had any remaining worries about how tough that guy was, how much of a dog he was, how skilled he was, like, just get rid of those. Like, that guy is an awesome, awesome football player. So one note on the Eagles, seeing Nicholas Morrow goes off kind of makes me sad. I'm happy for Eagles fans, but... I thought he was an under-the-radar good acquisition for the Bears last year. They couldn't find a way to use him correctly. He has a history as a safety. He came from Las Vegas. Um, He transitioned, and I thought he was at that place, the perfect place, when you get a free agent that was ready to make a jump. Not a high-name player, but had better production um, than his name value or his draft value and and could really sort of explode. Comes to the Bears and sort of plateaus or really disappears um, in what was a down year. He goes... (laughs) He goes to Philadelphia and Desai has got him dialed up. He is wrecking stuff. So these are my sad Bears fans' tears. Um, the top two graded linebackers by PFF so far in the first month of the season. Who? Roquan Amaro. Roquan Amaro. Of course. Of course, yeah. And I'm no, like, it, okay. It, th- it couldn't be any other, any other combo. Yeah. This is fine. So I'm happy for Nicholas Morrow. I'm happy that my eyes showed me good things, you know, coming out of the Raiders, and I wasn't wrong on that took getting into a system where he could be leveraged correctly decides bringing him like a missile. And he paid that off a bunch, ended up with I think three sacks on the day. Um, really, really cool to see that. But yeah, if Washington's going to compete, they're going to have to adjust a little bit more to protect those guys, not just say sort of buck up because if they do that, they're going to lose a couple of games down the stretch that they maybe could have won. And that's going to be the difference. Again, the NFC East is really unforgiving in terms of wins. And if you can get one, you need to. 
one more note, by the way, on the Eagles defensive line, 21 total pressures generated, uh, five sacks, four hits, um, two, two of those were coverage sacks, by the way. So the secondary also contributed to a couple of those, but, uh, defensive line, absolutely eight in this game. Like the, and the Eagles pass rush in general is insane. Uh, Jalen Carter coming into this game. I don't know what it is now, but coming into this game, he had a 22.5%, uh, pass rush win rate, which was third among all interior defensive linemen, uh, behind is Chris Jones and it might've been Donald. I know he was third. I know Chris Jones was first at like 30 something. Cause he's Chris Jones. He's insane. <laughs> who needs training camp but uh yeah jalen carter has been as advertised and he is winning at a higher rate than even javon hargrave was so once again howie doing howie things getting a cheaper and potentially even better option in the draft rather than than paying hargrave um of course it's the eagles uh, look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. All right, third game. Steelers Texans. Of course, I'm I'm wearing my my Texans starter jacket from Homage. By the way, shout out to very Amage. nice, super shout. Uh, if if you want a uh, a starter jacket for yourself, uh, there are some teams that are still available. Not the teams that I expected. Philly's yep. one of them. You know, the Chiefs are one of them. I think the only teams that are sold out are Detroit because their fan base is ravenous this year. Uh, Jacksonville, the Creamsicles. But there's still several teams that have starter jackets available uh, with with your team all over them. You know, it's got like the AFC patch and everything. It's sick. It's awesome. So, uh, again, check those out at the link in the description below. Or really check out anything from Homage. Whatever you buy uh, directly supports the show. We get a cut of every purchase, so it helps us out. Thank you once again to Homage for, uh, for partnering with us on that. But um, Steelers-Texans, the actual game we're going to talk about here. I continue to be uh, amazed with each passing week because I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, mm -hmm. you know, and, and maybe that's just my conditioning as a Texans fan, but <laughs> I, I keep, I keep waiting for like the day where Stroud looks like a rookie. I keep waiting for the day when us having four starting offensive linemen out is going to cost us. Right. I keep waiting for the day when, they just absolutely get the shit kicked out of them, which you could argue was week one. But again, like they played a really good second half and looked competent in the second half. So it wasn't like a complete game meltdown, like like what we saw with the Giants last night. But like I keep waiting for them to have a, a New York Giants kind of game and it's not happening. Like I thought they were going to get steamrolled in this one because I was like, oh, the Steelers pass rush is insane. Like TJ Watt's going to eat them alive. Keanu Benton's going to eat them alive. Highsmith. And it didn't happen. Like Stroud was was dealing. Uh, Nico Collins has continued to be like T. Higgins 2.0. Tank Dell looks great. Um, you know, you, you've got Dalton Schultz contributing now. The defense played well, which <laughs> Steelers fans, I know, 
Uh, it's not like the Steelers' offense played great, but still, the defense down a lot of their own starters, holding another NFL team to less than ten points is impressive. Like they they keep playing games that on paper they shouldn't be able to play. Like if you look at all their injuries and you look at their experience level, like it doesn't make sense how good this team is. It honestly doesn't. But they are playing the best football that I have seen the Texans as an organization play since probably like 2018, 2019. Like, you know, back in the uh, the prime uh, Watson to Hopkins, Will Fuller years, you know, still had JJ there. Like, it's been five or six years since we've seen the Texans play competent football. And this is more than competent football. This is fucking good football. And I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by it because I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and it's not happening. And, and now I'm getting my hopes up and I'm starting to look at the schedule and I'm like, wait a minute. You look at, you look at their games. Like they, they got, um, uh, they got the Falcons, they got uh, Tampa, they got Cincy, um, no, it's, it's Falcons, Saints, then a bye, right? Uh, then Carolina. All three of those are winnable. Then it's Tampa, then Cincy, Arizona, Jackson, Denver, the Jets, then the Titans. Um, and then uh, Christmas Eve, you got the Browns game, because, of course, it's on Christmas Eve. And then you wrap it up with Tennessee and Indy. Like, they're, they're going to drop some of those games, obviously. Like, we're all NFL teams here. They're going to lose. But they could very easily be challenging for like a, a six or a seven seat here, if not more than that. Yep. And that blows my mind. Like they shouldn't be doing that right now, but they're doing it. And so I I just I almost don't know what to make of the Texans because I thought there was a ceiling there. Um, I thought there was a, a harsh ceiling there once we saw all these injuries coming. And they have blown right through that ceiling. And now I don't I don't know how high it is. And that is as exciting as it is terrifying for me, right? Um, so I'm 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 stoked as a Texans fan, but I'm also just absolutely stunned with what we have seen over the last couple of weeks. Everybody's talking about the Dion effect, the prime effect, right, at Colorado what he's done in college football, how quickly he transformed the Buffaloes who were a one win team last year into a team that came in with a lot of hype, paid it off for the first three games. They're, they're coming back to earth a little bit because of their line talent, but the recruiting wave is coming. The recruiting waves are coming. Everybody's talking about the prime effect. Nobody's talking about the D'Amico effect. And it is really important because all of the things you just said are because of his influence, his his pull on this entire organization to take them from where they were, what you were talking about, playing bad football for a long time, not competent football, not complimentary football, any of that, to do this with injuries. And again, not surrender to that, not give that power, continue to say we are going to play at an extremely high level with the people we have, and this is going to be the way that we do it. They play in his image. They are tough, physical, fast, disciplined, smart. They bring energy, great energy. We saw the energy out of his defense in San Francisco. Those guys loved playing for him, and he has carried that over. And that's a difficult thing to do. It doesn't just port with you when you go from organization to organization, especially when you change roles. 
like there's no reason necessarily for the vets of the Texans to believe D'Amico when he got there, like pedigree. Sure. Yeah. And he was a Texan, but like that only carries you so far after the first couple of weeks, if you get your doors blown off, you're going to be like, ah, and we've seen that in other teams around the NFL where it hasn't worked. Oh, I have need acronyms and I'm, you know, my team loves me and well, you don't perform. And that goes right out the window. The NFL is all about meritocracy. Show me, show me wins, show me competence. The Texans bought in. They're having those results. It is in D'Amico's image. And the D'Amico effect is just as real, if not more so, because it's on an even bigger stage than the prime effects. And we need to talk about it because we thought that that's the kind of head coach he would be, but you never know. And I would say a month in, it is really clear. He is 100% that kind of head coach because they have done it in less than ideal circumstances. They keep doing it. They keep overperforming. Um, and I'd say that's the reason. It's We knew they had talent. Lots of teams have talent. And we see that talent either elevated or suppressed. Now, on the other side of the ball, we see that talent suppressed. And I watched this game on the plane home from Texas, and it made my eyes bleed. This offense is completely toothless. It is broken. Kenny Pickett, this is according to Warren Sharp, at Sharp Football on Twitter. Kenny Pickett threw 63% of his first down passes behind the line of scrimmage. Highest rate of any quarterback this week. He averaged, <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face, 0.5 air yards. Point, Yikes. 0.5 air yards. Yikes. Fewest of any QB this week. The results... 0.45 EPA per attempt, 11% success rate. For those of you that don't follow success rate, that's in the toilet. 1.9 yards per attempt. Like these numbers for poor offenses are like 4.9 or 5.4 or, or 6.1 as opposed to good offenses where it's 8 or 9. 1.9 yards per attempt. Zero first downs attempted gained over five yards. That's just, it's it's almost inconscionable. Or unconscionable? It's, inconscionable? Yeah, One of those inconscionable. yeah, unconscionable. And he calls it pathetic. That's, again, Warren Sharp. All those stats were from him. This is what it looked like on film. Sometimes the stats in the film don't match. Like the film, when I say it made my eyes bleed, it was literally screen, 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 run for your life, screen, 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 screen. And nothing down the field. Like they just didn't push the ball at all. And what you get is that. And on top of that, Pickett's not helping himself. Again, we said how different he looks from preseason to regular season. Um, He ran out of a very good, clean pocket right into a Jonathan Grenard sack. Like Jonathan Grenard was the happiest dude on the field. He was playing contained. Like he had his guy, they had a pocket. He was clearly, yes, he's rushing the passer, but it's like rush if you have the opportunity, but don't let that guy out the side. That was his role. Pickett literally spun into the back of the blocker in front of him. He reached around, grabbed him and said, okay, sure, I'll take it. But like, it was a good, clean pocket. And yeah, there was coverage, sure. But you see quarterbacks hurt themselves. And I'm sure it's out of frustration and a lot of other things. You're starting to see frustration from other Steelers players. The center Mm -hmm. walking off the field on the Texas game, like ripped his helmet off after that play. And had some words for the sideline. You're going to start to see this bubble up. Like professional players are not going to take this for an entire season and go quietly. Like you're not supposed to call out coaching, but after a bit when it's affecting your professional livelihood, it's making your tape look like crap. 
and you know what the reason is, there's going to be more open grumbling and it's going to continue. And Tomlin's going to have a decision to make. He is incredibly loyal. He has been, um, most dealers fans would say past loyal with Matt Canada. Matt Canada is crushing this team right now. There is, you talk about the Patriots not being able to keep up. Like mm -hmm. the Steelers are a level below that. I, I would think that uh, when they get to their bye week, which I think is week six, let me look it up here. Uh, yes, it is week six is their bye week, right? So they got one more game. If it doesn't look good in the next game, I think he's gone. And because it gives them the bye week to a pick who is going to be calling plays instead of him. And it'll give them a little extra time for Kenny to come back from his bone bruise and also to get the team used to whoever their new OC is. But I think this coming week is literally the last shot. And maybe, honestly, it's already been decided. Yeah, it's already over. You know, but <laughs> the, the fact that he told the broadcast and they're meeting with him leading up to this game. But uh, the broadcasters made this comment and, and Tree tweeted this out. And I couldn't believe that he said it. Matt Canada said, oh, our offense isn't built to come back. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, you, you got you got George Pickens. You got Calvin Austin there. I know I understand that that Deontay got hurt and Frymer got hurt. But, like, you you have weapons. You've, uh, you've invested a lot onto the offensive line this offseason. You took a quarterback in the first round. What the fuck do you mean you're not built to come back? <laughs> yeah it's like, like come the back from what like it's it's insane it's the public admission that um i'm not very good at my job and what you're seeing on the field is real like a lot of people will say hey what you saw on the field it's not really real like we're a little bit away or some execution we can change that like what we put out there is not representative of what we really are he basically came out and said no that's that's pretty representative of what we are it's it, what I, I interpret it one of two ways. Either he doesn't think they can pass protect, yeah. which is to me, I'm like, okay, that's a coaching issue. You look at the Texans, they were constantly chipping TJ and high spit. They were constantly leaving their backs and tight ends in protection because they knew that they couldn't pass protect with five. So they were giving Stroud extra time through scheme, right? They were mm -hmm. giving Stroud extra time through just adding blockers and trusting him to find guys down the field. And they did what had three total pressures in this game against third stringers. Uh, so that should tell you how well slow it game plan for this game. So Matt, <laughs> yeah. either you're saying you can't pass protect and, and you can't scheme up pass protection, or you're saying that you don't think Kenny Pickett is very good or, or both. And that's probably the one you mentioned Sloic, and it is important that at, again, we see that link between coaching and players and we see when it works and when it doesn't It's clearly working on the Texas side, because Sloic can come out and say, look, you've got Watt over there. You've got Benton over there. You've got Highsmith over there. There's, there's nowhere to go. And your protection's not great. I need you to get rid of the ball in two, 2.2 seconds. Like I need you to get rid of the ball quick. Well, that's all well and good. But if Stroud can't do it, then you don't see that marriage work. The marriage clearly works. Loic came out and said, I'm going to protect you by making sure you have no deep drops, no five-second reads. Like, you are you are two seconds, and that ball is gone because they're going to be on you. And it was frustrating for the pass rushers, but Stroud also paid that off. Canada might say that to Pickett. Again, Pickett might not, is not right now. 
paying that off at anywhere near a rate close to what Stroud's doing. Um, or he might just not be game planning that in for Pickett and then Pickett's running for his life and getting slaughtered. And, you know, but the the marriage is clearly not working on the Steelers side. It clearly is on the Texans side. And when you watch that game plan, when I watch that game, just the the alternating possessions of the offenses, I was like, oh, God, when it was the Steelers. And like I kept waiting for the Steelers defense to, to pay it off against backups. And the Texans game plan kept them protected. Stroud kept them on time. Everybody else chipped in and they were all loving it. And it was like, this side is loving it. And this side is hating life. Like everything's working. Nothing's working. It's very possible, by the way, that for the next game, a, they're getting both their tackles back. You know, the tackles have been been on Twitter basically saying like, we're back baby. So Tunsil will be back. Howard to be back. Uh, Juice is eligible to come back now, but it, from from what the, how the Texans have been saying, oh, Jarrett Patterson's been playing well enough at center that they might just put Juice at guard, um, yeah. which, you know, it's Juice. He could play either spot. But they were already putting up 24 points per game, and now they're getting their offensive line back. I can't wait to see what Slowick and Stroud do now. You know, yeah. again, like they have a very, I'm not going to say easy schedule. Winnable. It's not easy. But they have winnable, winnable games. Schedule. Yeah. You know, they could very easily be five and two by Halloween. And then depending on what's happening with Tampa, which is a tough squad, uh, depending on what's happening with Joe Burrow's calf, because the Bengals can't buy a win right now, you know, as long as Burrow's hurt. And then you got Arizona, Jacksonville, Denver and the Jets. Like I said, like this, this could be a team that's like 10 and four after Thanksgiving, which I almost feel bad for saying it. But if if they keep playing like this, it's possible. And that's it's it's just unreal to me that that this is even a possibility that I can discuss. You know, the Texans maybe being the favorite in the AFC South. It's just it's it's unbelievable. It really is. I love seeing you flummoxed about football. It doesn't happen that often, (laughs) uh, but you are just all twitter paid it about the texans and i couldn't i couldn't be happier it's really cool when that happens to a team it's really cool when all the possibilities that we talk about in terms of player potential and ceiling and coaching and scheme like all the fusion it is very difficult to win in the nfl period um and it's really difficult to turn a team around really quickly and when you see it happen like i said it last week and i stand by it the texans are fun like as a football fan, I like watching the Texans right now. They're playing a really cool brand of football. They are buying in. They have energy. They have skill. They have young players. Like, it's an exciting squad to watch. Whereas last year, there were some Texans games I had to watch late in the year, and I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> you know, I got to keep up. There's good players there. Like, But this year, it's like, if I get a chance to watch Texans film, I'm like, I'm super interested on both sides of the ball. It's a fun squad. Uh, the current leader of the AFC South, by the way, is the Colts. They just played against the Rams. Um, it, by the way, the entire division's two and two. All, I was going to say leader, <laughs> but you know, based on tiebreakers and. Yeah, but can we talk about the fact they're all two and two? Um, just divisions in general for a second, because we are, look, we're at the one month. We should take a quick pulse bills. We talked about dolphins. We talked about they're at the top of the AFC East. Uh, we talked about the Ravens a lot. AFC North, they're three and one, a couple of two and two teams behind them. And the Bengals, the Bengals are one of those teams. There's there's four teams every year that 
four were at the top and four were at the bottom and they swap. And mm -hmm. a month in, the Bengals are one and three. They're not showing signs of breaking out of that anytime soon. They look like one of those teams that could surprisingly drop. The Texans, on the other hand, look like one of those teams that was at the bottom and could surprisingly rise. Um, AFC South, like we talked about, everybody's two and two. Uh, but, you know, basically all those teams are playing pretty good football. We're going to talk about the Colts, um, the Jags, you know, did took care of business in London. The Texans, we talked about a lot. And then the Titans just destroyed the Bengals. Um, AFC West, Chiefs at the top, not a surprise. Chargers, even two and two, not charging yet. Vegas, one and three. <laughs> They're trying, though. Three. They're trying as hard oh, as they can. <laughs> boy, boy. That was, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Flipping over to the NFC, Eagles, four no, not surprising. Dallas, three and one, playing well. Commanders, two and two. Giants, one and three, and look like one of those teams that made the playoffs last year and are not right now. That is a, Last night's game was difficult to watch. They were, they're in tough straits. They need to find more than one answer. Um, the magic is clearly gone from last year. The air is out of that balloon, and they're going to have to rebuild something. This year's plan is not working like last year's. NFC North: Detroit Lions three and one, Packers two and two, Minnesota one and three. Surprisingly to me, that that's a result. Chicago zero and four. Not surprising at all to me. Um, NFC South: Bucks. You talked about tough squad three and one plan. Um, uh, we talk about Sloak all the time. Uh, Canales, the offensive coordinator mm -hmm. for Tampa, he's he's making some stuff work with Baker. He, that's another sort of sneaky fun team to watch. Falcons two and two, Saints two and two, Panthers zero and four, and struggling hard. Uh, NFC West, San Francisco four and zero. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> Hawks three and one, and looking good again. They're back on track. Rams two and two, and we're going to talk about the Rams right now. And then the Cardinals one and three, but playing hard. So um, interesting sort of, it's not really the quarter pole anymore with a 17 game season, but it's kind of the quarter pole first month of the season in the books. Again, the first two weeks are always high variance up and down. Then things start to even out. We could look at it at a month and go, okay, these, these teams are pretty good. These teams are surprising us. These teams are surprisingly bad. And this team looks like, Oh, they might be starting their draft prep in a couple of weeks. Well, I will say a month into it, something that has remained consistent really all four weeks, or at least all four weeks that Anthony Richardson's played, um, but also all four weeks for the Rams too. Both these teams are really fun to watch. Like I genuinely enjoy watching Rams football this year because uh, Matthew Stafford, it feels like he's just in his old man fuck it phase. Like he's just going to throw whatever ball he wants to. And and he's throwing some dimes out there. You yep. know, you obviously have the Puka Nakua storyline. He's been phenomenal uh, bootleg favorite, by the way, uh, which I mean, you, you've been a Puka stand for as long as I can remember. Um, and then, you know, we, we got Aaron Donald still out here generating pressure at a top three to four rate among interior defensive linemen. He's doing his thing. You got the young kids like Byron Young popping off. Like, it's just a fun squad. It, it really is a fun squad to watch. Kobe, <laughs> Kobe's looked fantastic. Um, yep. It's it's a youth movement in L.A. that's genuinely entertaining. And then on the other side, again, another youth movement. The Colts had like 14 rookie draft picks this year. None more important than Anthony Richardson, who every single time he's on the field, my jaw hits the floor. Like, he does something that shouldn't be possible there were a couple mm -hmm. throws at least three in this game where i was like 
shut up. Like, come on. There was the scene ball that he doing? ripped against cover two. Like, I, I know, I know the one that you first pointed out where he was like, he had AD in his face and he's off the ground, like both feet off the ground, flick of the wrist, 40 yards down the field. Like physics do not apply. Um, that seeing ball against cover two where it was like 10 feet off the deck the entire way, just a freaking missile. There was the one where he was yeah. rolling out to his right uh, and, and he led it. Oh, there was the almost touchdown to Pittman where mm-hmm. he threw a back shoulder. And I, Pittman, I just think Pittman was surprised. He's like, what the hell? You threw that? What? Like he didn't even think it was coming, right? And he turned around no. and all of a sudden the ball was on his chest. But like that was almost like the best touchdown throw of the year. And that's all in one game in his third start. He's doing yep. that. So again, I, I I look at the Texans and I'm like, oh man, are they the AFC South favorite? And then I look at the Colts and I was like, well, if Anthony Richardson keeps playing like that, like they might be the favorite because that's that's special shit. Like it really is. Like that's the stuff that very few quarterbacks in this league do. You know, it's the Mahomeses, it's the Allens, it's the Herberts, it's the it's the T laws. You know, when when T laws right, he's doing that, but. There's very few quarterbacks that can do what Anthony Richardson can do. And as long as he keeps uh, keeps the mistakes, the rookie mistakes to a minimum, sky's the limit for this team. And I truly mean that like because he can he can take over a game in ways that I haven't seen from a Colts quarterback since Andrew Luck. And I say that with the highest level of reverence. He's that dude. He is. He's doing it in a completely different way than Stroud, but it's so fun that they, well, not maybe for you, but it's so fun for me (laughs) that they ended up in the same division. Like Richardson's doing things, like you said, that nobody can do. And I I do mean nobody. Like I, the throw that he made that I was talking about, it's one of the most brain bending throws I've ever seen in the NFL. And that's saying something. There's a lot of great throws every week, every year. There's throws that just sort of defy imagination and are, you know, in terms of precision or, you know, timing, whatever else. Aaron Donald's on his chest when he makes this throw. Like Aaron Donald is chest to chest with him, wrapping him. And Richardson is a big guy. He jumps right before he throws it. He has, you know, our, our good friend JT O'Sullivan, who, who runs QB school, cleats in the ground. He always says, get back, put all your cleats in the ground, drive that ball, right? He has zero cleats in the ground. That is his total cleats in the ground for this throw which makes no sense. So he is off the ground and he has one of the best defenders in the NFL chest to chest with him. And he goes, huh? (laughs) And it goes 40 yards and it didn't hit the guy in stride. Like he had to turn around, but it hit the guy like 40 yards down the field. He hit the guy. It was accurate. Got there pretty much on time. It's completion. Like, if somebody did that to you in Madden, if your quarterback was wrapped up while he was jumping and he just kind of went, Oink, and it went 40 yards and you'd be like you'd throw your controller and say screw it it's rigged like it happened in real life that physics be damned forget it like that's just that's not a real throw you can't do that <laughs> and he does like you said not one a week not two a week there's two or three every week where you just go what and then he takes off running and runs over people i want to see a little bit less of that just for body conservation i want this kid on the field he is amazing He can lead the Colts, but it is a completely different kind of high variance way than Stroud's kind of repeated precision on time, accurate. Like they're just two sides. They're both getting it done, but they're getting it done in very different ways. And it's wildly entertaining. Yeah, they're just two different models of Terminator to me. 
you know, Richardson, by the way, leads the league in explosive play rate. That's runs of 12 plus yards and passes of 20 plus yards. That's not lead the league for quarterbacks. That's leads the league. He is the leading player in the league for explosive play rate of, of all the great players we talk about every week. A rookie who had 13 collegiate starts is leading the NFL in explosive play rate. Like, uh, he, okay. <laughs> people, people are obviously throwing out the cam comparison. Different guy to me. Yeah. Um, the release is quicker, like uh, from a, in terms of size, speed, power, all that kind of, as a runner. Okay. Yeah. I get that as a thrower. Again, this same. is going to sound insane. I see Dan Marino just mm. how, how quick it comes off the hand, the, yep. the the sheer velocity, like that's Dan Marino shit, but in cam's body, you know, it's, it's <laughs> unreal. It's, yeah, unreal. it's, it's a crazy combination. It's a lot of power and it's not harnessed yet. You said it, it's his third professional start. It is his 16th start overall since he started college. Like there are guys he's, that have almost that many starts in a year in college these days. If they go through the playoffs and, and everything else, you know, they can have like 14, 15 starts per year. He has 16 total 13 in college, three in the pros. And he's doing this. He looks unfazed. Like talk about the moment, not being too big for a guy. Like, forget that. He's like, I'm going to take it. Like this is mine. That's rare stuff. So we're seeing, we're seeing some early payoffs out of this quarterback class that are that are really really impressive. Um, he is also not the only potentially record breaking rookie in this game. Puka Nakua again, got to talk about it. Nine for a buck sixty three this week. Nobody in NFL history. Uh, <laughs> I, I double checked this note when you put in put it in there. By the way, <laughs> yeah. Nobody in NFL history has caught more passes in their first four games ever. Nope. And he's doing it in all sorts of ways. Um, primarily as just an absolute uh, uh, slicer and dicer, so to speak, against zone coverage. He's so good at feeling out zone coverage, and Stafford trusts him implicitly. Um, against teams that are that are heavier in man, uh, he is going to be less productive because he's not yet the separator that, say, Cooper <laughs> Cup is. Like, Cooper's going to be their man beater. But against zone coverage, in terms of just natural instincts for the game of knowing when to settle, knowing how Matthew uh, reads defenses so he knows exactly where to be and exactly what timing, and here's here's how I need to hit my landmarks and be right where he needs me to be. Like, hey, this is a 35-year-old quarterback. I'm going to run the stick route the exact way he tells me to run that stick route because I know where that ball is going to be. Uh, like, that is, that is what Puka does. And he's he is like the Travis Kelsey of this offense, which sounds weird, but Travis does a similar type of role for Kansas mm -hmm. City where it's like, I understand how it's drawn up, but this is the coverage we see in front of me, so I'm going to go here, and I'm going to trust that Mahomes is going to read it the same way. He Puka operates in a similar type of role, different position, different body, different skill set, or physical skill set, I should say, but similar type of role of just... I understand that's what the playbook looks like, but let me just let me just sit right here. And it's led to him being outrageously productive. And when this team gets Cup back, so that they have a true like separator against man coverage again, then there's not going to be any answers. Like obviously the Colts play a lot of zone. 
they always have uh, under Gus and they always will. So they were they were destined to give up a lot of catches to Puka in this one. But it, when when they get to their teams further on down the schedule that are going to play a lot of man, that's really going to be the unlock, you know, when they get Cooper back. And once they get him back at that point, I don't know what you do against this Rams team because Stafford's playing at a high level. Puka's playing at a high level. Cup, we know what Cup is. Tutu's come along. Like you got Kyron Williams yeah. out of nowhere, <laughs> you know, being like a little Devonta Freeman clone. The offensive line's playing great. Sean McVay's coaching his ass off. This is a real team. It's a real team, and that's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> it is a very pleasant surprise. Just a, a side note, if you're a running back, you probably shouldn't make waves right now. We all know how tough a job it is. We know how out of whack the pay rates are. And quite frankly, the guy behind you is probably really freaking capable because there is way more supply than demand. So, you know, famously, the Rams hit their end of the string with Cam Akers, and they say, nope, we're going to move them. Um, Kyron Williams comes in, goes off for 103 yards, 4.1 a carry, two touchdowns, didn't even skip a beat. And I don't know if you remember this. This was a pre-draft discussion we had when Kyron Williams was coming out. Do you remember who I compared him to when he was at his top? I said, when Kyron Williams is, is at his best, he reminds me of like, he's not the same player. I'm not predicting the same amount of success, but I said, when he's going off, he gives me shades of, and you were like, no, uh-uh. I don't remember this. No work done. And God, you were like, you did a, the same it's thing. It's such a bar. It's such a high bar. Right, but like, but based I on what we've seen production. in the NFL, like I right. get it. I get it. As like not production, but when he, he has a similar style again, I don't think he's at that level. I would never put that on a rookie work done. Tremendous NFL player before guys ever played it down in the NFL. But I said, when he's, when he hits his eyes, he gives me work done vibes and he doesn't hit him all the time. He's not consistent like that, but, and you were like, no, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> there's so many running backs. I mean, Travion Williams, you know, as a Travion Williams guy way back in the day, he's now running back two for the Bengals and he's contributing. And a lot of people for years were like, ah, you missed on Travion Williams. And I was like, he hung around on the practice squad, you know, he was on the 53 occasionally last year. We started two years ago. We started seeing some kick returns out of him last year. He was pretty good in the kick return game. Now he's RB two. Like there's so many running backs in the NFL that can play so many. Um, it is a tough job to get it is a tough job to keep. And you better be careful because there's probably three guys behind you in a stack that can go out and put up hundred yards in an NFL game. And that's, that's a rough reality. I mean, it's great for teams. It's not great for running backs. I I fully admit I was not a big Kyron Williams guy when he was coming out. He had a lot of fans. Like there were a lot of people that were obsessed with him. I wasn't one of them. But he he so far at least has been everything that the people who were high on him thought he could be. You know, in terms of power, contact balance, short area quickness, like his long speed is still no, not not great. tremendous. But all of the other stuff, like the little stuff that can help a running back win, like can you just be shifty in a tight area? Can you just not go down to a stiff breeze? You know, like <laughs> he, he's got that to him. And so as long as as long as he has those tools available, he's going to be productive. And so I fully admit, like I was wrong about Kyron Williams. Um, 
But then again, I, I might have been wrong about the Rams overall. Like, I didn't think they were going to be the worst team in the league. I didn't think they were going to be contending for Caleb. But I also didn't think they were going to be contending for, you know, a, a, a six seed either. <laughs> and, and that might be Look, what they're actually doing. They've been in every game. Like, they're two and two. We said that when we did the little breakdown of how everybody is after a month. But their two losses, once to the Niners, one of the one of the preeminent best teams in football. I think that's pretty well agreed. And they only lost by a touchdown. They didn't get blown out. They lost by seven of the Niners and they lost to the struggling Bengals by a field goal, like mm -hmm. by three points. Like, so that's kind of, and again, we talked about a week one, a week two, always kind of, you know, there's some results in there that you just throw out with the bathwater and go, ah, everybody was getting settled. Like as hard as they're playing and as much production as they're getting out of, guys all across the roster young guys stafford is the opposite of a young guy who's just slinging it throwing absolute darts like again they're believing they're bought in and they're playing super hard and i would expect of all the sort of two and two teams i would expect that win to loss ratio to get better for the rams and yeah that's not something i necessarily would have said preseason uh, all right, let's get to our last game. Uh, again, we're not going to touch on the Monday night game from last night because it feels cruel at this point to dogpile on the Giants anymore. So our last game is going to be the Sunday night affair between the Chiefs and Jets where I I I got to say, I don't know if it's sustainable. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to see <laughs> Zach Wilson play like that again. I don't know. But I am happy that we got to see him play like that. I am happy yes. that we got that moment of, like, there it is. There's the kid they took second overall. You know, we've been waiting so long, and there it is against a defense that most people would have as a top 10 defense right now in Kansas City, if not higher than that. Yes. Um, it's, it's just good to see hints of a redemption arc, right? Because I don't I don't dislike Zach Wilson as a person at all, you know? And I've never had a problem with him. Um, personally, I've never felt that he was, you know, a bad actor. I feel like I feel like people put this image on him unfairly due to who is who's in his family. They put this image on him like he was like this villain from an 80s ski movie. You know, and, and he was always seen that way when he was coming out. And it's like, man, he's just oh, a man. Fucking, he's a 21 year old kid from BYU. Like, can we calm down on the personal attacks? Right. It always felt like a lot of people had like a personal thing against Zach Wilson. I never had a personal thing against Zach Wilson. I wanted him to play better football, um, which he finally did this week. And I'm just I'm happy to see somebody who has been so maligned and so uh, ridiculed get a moment in the sun and yeah they didn't win the game but you also saw the personal growth from him where at the end he's like i i lost this game i messed up and to see that growth from before when he <laughs> again yeah. young kid young kid i will give him grace on this where you know he he answered a question, I think it was either a year ago or a year or two ago, where it was like deflecting blame, like this one's not on me. Like that's honestly what lost the locker room at that point was was that moment. But to see the growth from that to where he is now, where he played a phenomenal game yeah. and he said, this one's on me. It really is a transformative moment, I think, 
potentially for his career because the locker room will play hard for a guy like that who leaves it all in the field, gives them a chance to win and still takes accountability even for a loss that wasn't his fault at all. You know, nope. Like that's all they wanted from him. That's all they wanted from him and they just got it. So I, I, I understand they're like one in three and they lost, but that moment made me think the Jets aren't dead yet. It was a huge moment of growth. And um, I'm just, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy for Zach Wilson. I'm, I, I'm happy he got that moment. And I'm happy that he did it in front of 27 million people watching that game because yeah. it was the highest rated game since the Super Bowl. Um, potentially, it'll it'll help alleviate and or change some narratives about him. And it's it's good to see. It's massive. I'm not really sure what I witnessed, but there were some themes. So overall, the Jets had some breakdowns, saw those, but they protected pretty well against, again, a what we had just lauded as a top five defense in the NFL at worst, like probably top three. And, you know, I would say continually embattled is a really good way to describe Zach Wilson's career up to last night. And last night is a major inflection point. He looks like a whole new player. This wasn't like a couple plays. We've seen those from him before. We've seen flashes. I, again, I'm not sure why this happened, but we saw calm feet in the pocket. Good base. Moving evenly from read to read. Progressing to throws late in the down. Much better escapability. One of his worst traits or most toxic traits as a quarterback was he always went to the side or back. Always, always, always. And he ended up with some horrendous losses because of that. He very, very, very rarely stepped up in the pocket successfully. We saw him do it with some major escapability last night, which, again, not something we've seen from him. Layering throws in that he used to just laser, like no touch. The, the touchdown to Uzama is not a throw he'd make before, period. Like, he just didn't. Mm -hmm. He used all three of his tight ends well in this game. I was half expecting Kenny Yeboah to limp onto the field off IR and say, man, throw me one. I want one. Like, all three of the, the tight ends caught balls from him. Didn't turn the ball over via an interception. Like, that's been a absolute bugaboo throughout his young career. I'm not sure if this is the Zen of Aaron or, or why all this stuff happened and gelled, like, on TV against a very good defense, but it did. And it was all game long. Like you said, this game, clearly not his fault. He played the best football game of his NFL career. I feel like very safe in saying that. And he looked different. And to your point, this is an unlock. This is real. He has value now. Before, like before yesterday, if you tried to trade Zach Wilson, you would have gotten a half warm ham sandwich for him. Right? Mm -hmm. Somebody would have taken a shot on the pedigree. He would have gotten another shot. But he hadn't, like what he did against the Chiefs with, you know, some backup pieces. But like he now has value. And that can be going forward. That can be a different path that he takes in his career. It really is a, you know, came to the fork in the road and, and took the one that was a lot better. And don't know why, but it's super cool. I'm with you. It's great to see it. And I just think I go back to right after Aaron Rodgers went down in that opening game. And right as all the air was going out of balloon, Garrett Wilson went over to him and said, I need you, man. Mm -hmm. like be good <laughs> get good kid <laughs> get good kid i need you and he did and how 
I don't know, but like it's on film. Like he was so good last night. And it was just like, I kept watching it going, what's going on? Like, how's this yeah. happening? And, you know, cause I rewatched it yesterday cause I was actually on the plane watching the other games and it was so cool. It was really, really cool to see. And he gives this team a chance, which is a real thing, which again, the week one narrative was like, it's over. They're done. We're back to Zach Wilson. This is hopeless. And instead, no, it's not. So super also, cool. Side note about that. Rodney Harrison, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, he just played the game of his life. Yeah. Interviewing Chris Jones from the winning team. Like, do do we have to take shots right now? Do we got to take low blows right now of all times? Mm -hmm. And respect to Chris Jones for not taking the bait on that because Rodney tried to bait him like three times into just calling Zach Wilson trash for no reason. It's like, yeah, what, what are we doing? Like, be professional. God damn. Like no, he's, he's a dirty uh, broadcaster right now. Like he, a lot of people called him a dirty player. He was voted the most dirty player. And I, I see how, like, if you're a Rodney Harrison backer as a player, I understand he played extremely hard and that was the only way he knew how to play. And yeah, he took dirty shots. You know, if you want to see him, you can go find him. It's fine. The majority of the shots that people call dirty that Rodney Harrison took weren't, they were super hard. The NFL was a different place back then. More impact was allowed. And most of the times he led with his shoulder, not with his head. Like, that's just a good hit. And he did take dirty shots, and he has done some things since his playing career that have made me think, eh, on the broadcasting side, you know, that's not great. Don't we have, like, lots of other, even former players? The, the league does a great job of giving these guys opportunities who want to move into media, giving them spots, giving them training. And, and then picking the best ones, it's in their own best interest, and elevating those guys. Aren't there some other folks out there, former players, and I know there are, who are better at this, who are not going to do these kinds of things? And then he goes and does that. And once, I'm not even going to say I could forgive it or understand it, once three times was like, give it up, man. He's not taking the hook. Yeah. You didn't need to throw it out there in the first place. That's a, I'm just going to say it's a shitty thing to do. Like, it's a bad way to do business. And here you are on arguably the biggest stage, like you said, most viewed game since the Super Bowl. And you're out here trying to bait one of the NFL stars into bashing a guy who just is executing a redemption arc. Like, there's so many better ways to do this. The bigger story is Zach Wilson's played like dog his entire career. He just played better. Like, Get some shine off Chris Jones. Like he was tough, man. And Chris Jones gave it to him anyway. So credit to Chris Jones. Rodney Harrison, kind of done with it. There are just better voices out there in terms of elevating the game, being smarter about the commentary. We think about that a lot. Like, how are we saying what we say? We spend a lot of time on that. And then to have a guy like Rodney Harrison go out and just pull some Bush League bullshit on a huge broadcast, it was super disappointing. A lot of the NBC guys do that and i've i've noticed this kind of theme where you know nbc in terms of like in in broadcast with like Tariko and collins where like they do a very good job during the game their pregame mm -hmm. and postgame you know where you got florio and sims that that, that sims especially does some really just really low blow shit a lot yeah, where even florio's like Dude, come on, you know. Yeah, but then Florio if Mike himself, Florio is if Mike Florio is your break <laughs> to not do yeah. something, 
you're not in the right spot. But it's it's Florio, it's Sims, it's Rodney Harrison, and it's like, dude, you're NBC. Can can you get nobody else for your pre and post game? Yeah, than this, do better, do better, do and better. they need to. And and you know, it they're not necessarily losing viewer share as as evidenced by the numbers last night, but in terms of where people go, look, you and I have been accused many times of being too positive, and we're aligned in that. Like this is the way we like doing it. We like thinking about what's possible. We like saying this could happen. Yeah. Is it always going to happen? Absolutely not. But that's the way we want to do business. And we choose to do it that way on purpose. And I just put that out in the world and hope that football consumers will choose voices that they like based on how they like it. And some people like people that trash people like that's fine. If you want to do that, (laughs) there are many places you can find that (laughs) like lots and lots. There is no shortage of negative sports talk out there. We want to do it differently. Like I'll admit, I'll be snarky, but oh yes, we I I, I I will be snarky, especially when I get like a couple coronas in me. But I'm not gonna sit there. Like if I was Rodney Harris, I'm not gonna sit there on national television and be like, "So Zach Wilson's garbage, right?" Like, come on, man. And it's on. very difficult to do. I got uh, I had lunch with a friend of mine, and he asked me about this yesterday. He was like, "So you know, this is your business now. Like, what do you think? You know." Would you do this? And I said, no, I never would, because before I got a chance to sit with players, I was less careful about what I said about them. I was still careful. I still thought of them as people first and players later, but I definitely went over lines that I will not go over now, knowing that I might be across the table from that guy. Like that's a real Mm -hmm. possibility. A bunch of the guys we saw on the field in Dallas on both sides, we've sat with, we've interviewed, right? And there is a possibility that now into their professional career, I'm going to end up talking to that guy, whether it's like this side by side or whether it's face to face over a table. (laughs) Would I, you know, want to sit with one of those guys having said this guy is complete trash and I think he has no hope of being a professional football player and he's absolute garbage. Like, I don't say that stuff anymore because there is a very real possibility. I'm going to see that guy face to face and I'm going to have to back that up. Now I will tell you, We will both tell you, we'll both be incredibly honest about people's performance on the football field. And we've been that way with Zach. He needs to play better. We've said it multiple times. He cannot, this is not sustainable. This will not win the Jets football games. Those are all facts. Like, and then we can also say he's turned a corner. We did it with Daniel Jones. Like he's playing as well as he can for the beating he took last night. Daniel Jones played really hard. He was dealt an unfair hand and he was not going to win that game, but he played really hard. So we will tell you what we see, honestly, but I am much more guarded about what I would say with players because there's a very real possibility. I'm going to have to look that guy in the eye as a professional, as a human, as a man and have him go. So you think I'm garbage? (laughs) Like, yeah. And uh, let's be honest, EJ. Do you think I could win a fight against Isaiah Pacheco? Probably not. <laughs> Probably I, not. <laughs> I mean, I I said that to the guy I was having lunch with who asked me the question. I said, you know, most, and we say this all the time, keyboard warriors, you know, armchair analysts, whatever. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if most defensive tackles stood up, we were talking about Dietrich Weiss, who plays for the Patriots, and we were on the sideline before <laughs> that game, and he walked by. That guy is an absolute mountain of a guy like he is a huge huge football player very skilled tough dude plays in the trenches for the patriots you have to be but he is a big 
human being. Like if that guy stands up with ill intentions, you're going to pee down your leg. I don't care who you are. He's going to turn you into dust if he really wants to. So like, let's keep this in perspective. You'd yell that at his face. Not more than once. You wouldn't like, let's be real. Speaking of Pacheco, by the way, who we do love and we've, we've loved him since we saw him at Shrine Bowl, which is why I brought him up because he was one of these, one of these kids that was, you know, a small, not small school, um, I wouldn't even unheralded call a small program unheralded program, you know, and he was, he was this kid that came out of Rutgers and nobody was ever talking about him. And then you, you saw him rip off a rail route triangle and you're like, hold on, that's something. Uh, and then he ended up going the seventh round, having a really good rookie year. And now he's the dude in Kansas city. So, you know, again, we, we root for these guys because we see them months and months and months before they get drafted. And we talk to them and we watch them practice and then we see them grow up and be NFL players. Um, but Isaiah Pacheco had a fantastic night, you know, and I think he's he has really come into his own in this offense as the guy they can lean on in a game where Patrick Mahomes inexplicably doesn't play well, you know, is making bad decisions, is making bad throws. There were several balls in that game that just died in the air, which I don't know if I've ever seen that from Pat, like even when he's been injured. I've never seen the ball outright die at 40 yards, you know, Um, but it didn't matter because you had Pacheco in there just grinding and grinding and grinding and popping a couple big runs and and doing his Pacheco thing where he just, he looks like he's on a mission to murder everybody who's going to tackle him. Like he's (laughs) awesome. He is like, he's, he's got so much Marion Barber to him. And that's like, they tried to compare him to Marshawn in the game. I was like, eh, no different play style than Marshawn. Um, Marion is, is really who I compare him to where it's like, if you're going to hit him, you better come prepared because he's going to hit you back. Um, And he's just, he's turned into such a good back for them. And I think that has been something that they have been missing, Mm -hmm. you know, ever since uh, the really starting in the post Kareem hunt era when they let Kareem hunt go. And then they just didn't have a run game. They didn't have a compliment. And so everything was always on Pat and at the time Tyreek and Travis to kind of just make the offense work. And now for the first time they have a back where if the passing game isn't going super great, they can turn into a, a run oriented team and, and win a tough game on the road in primetime. It's uh it's a refreshing change of pace for Kansas city. And so even though a lot of chiefs fans are worried and concerned, right. Cause they got lit up by Zach Wilson and it was a game that was a lot closer than it should have been on paper. Uh, and, and, you know, Pat had to come out and do his, his normal heroics with his legs at the end, just to ice that game. I, I would contend for the chiefs fans listening to this, that this was an encouraging win because it showed that you can win in a different way that you haven't normally been able to win by. So, that's my silver lining to it. Again, Pat played bad. He's not going to play bad all the time because he's Patrick Mahomes. Just just accept the win for what it was and be happy knowing that you can win in multiple ways now. That was exactly my note that Pacheco was a force. He kept them on schedule. 158 total yards running and receiving on a day when look, Mahomes was a pumpkin, unexplicably or inexplicably. Like he he just doesn't do that. It was so odd. I'm with you to see him just not complete the lasers, to not put huge pressure on the defense, to not roll up 300 yards. Like 
he's done that so consistently that we do get a little callous. We do get a little used to it. And when he has a very average day that lots of other quarterbacks have much more regularly, it looks so funny. It just looks like somebody messed with the film. And I'm with you that Chiefs fans might be like, oh, oh, we almost lost to the Jets, but we knew the Jets defense was really good. And they did prove that they can pivot. And that is important for any team down the stretch because it's a long season. You're going to have highs and lows. You're going to have to work through things. The Chiefs fans are fully aware of this in in their Super Bowl seasons. They've had their ups and downs. Um, They've had to come out and win different ways. And I'm with you. The run game has not been as strong a component as it is now until now. It is because of Pacheco and the way he runs. Speaking of running hard, Brees Hall's back. He's doing Brees Hall things. 9.3 yards a carry. Um, yeah, he's good. He's healthy. He's he's back, and he's going to be a force for New York on the other side. But, yeah, I don't think this is gloom and doom for the Chiefs because, like you said, Pat's not going to keep playing like that. He just is way too competitive for that. And they won anyways. He, You know, on the road, tough environment. Um, they just found a different way to win, and that is an important thing for a team to do, especially a contending championship team, because you're going to need to. You're not always going to have your A game, and you're going to have to have a, another punch to go to. The third and 22 run to me was honestly like the funniest third down conversion of his career because it's at least from the broadcast angle, right? And you see him kind of take off and you just expect a linebacker or a DB or something to just show up and eventually tackle, right? Because there's no yellow line in sight. He's just running and running and running and just no, nothing ever shows up. It's just Pat running alone for like four seconds, looking like Forrest Gump out there. It was the funniest third down conversion of his career and also so, so predictable. It, it super predictable. He always gets, and I think you put out this tweet, he always gets exactly what he needs. He's always just fast enough to get whatever it is that he's after. Mm-hmm. But I I just remembered I was rewatching this game um, late last night, writing my notes, and there's a play in here that nobody's talking about that could have been like season-altering for the Chiefs, and this is just one of those butterfly moments. Mahomes uh, broadcast going left to right, rolls out to his left, gets near the sideline, and one of the New York DBs who I'm going to have to look up uh, because I, I just got number, uh, hang on, comes absolutely streaming in from the third level. And oh, yeah, and he like, just olayed him. <laughs> yeah, but it looked like he could have, like, lit Pat up. I mean, like, laid him the hell out, and it would have been legal. Like, he was not out of bounds yet. It was clearly within the it field of play. Reed. It was DJ Reed, and he came stroking in and this might be something where it looks different on the all 22 like he actually let him it looked like to me he kind of just went huh and went by him and i'm like what are you doing for like you had a legit shot to light up Mahomes, and it almost looked like he was like i don't want to be the guy that hit the king and it i think it was one of those i'm moving so fast that i can't turn You know, it's like either we hit him he or we came, don't. he came in like a <laughs> missile and i thought oh my god we're gonna see we're going to see Mahomes get pulverized, which doesn't happen very often. And Reed had what looked to be, I got to go look at the all 22, the end, end zone angles, both of them now that were provided with both and see why he missed. But Reed came in with a head of steam and looked like he was going to obliterate Pat. And I was like, well, why didn't you hit him? So I've got to go back and look at that. But it was just one of those shocking plays that nobody's talking about. I was like, that could have, that could have changed the chief season right there. Like it, it could have been that kind of hit. 
I want to comment on, um, you know, holding Twitter was was at war during this game about uh, the hold. Do we have to talk about holding Twitter? It's honestly one of my least favorite parts of the entire spectrum. I just I want to I want to say I want to say this. Jermaine Johnson was not held. He was locked up. Okay, like if if he's grabbing outside the shoulder, you know, and he's holding him on the back or he's or he's basically hugging him. That's a hold. If you're inside the frame and that counts basically, you know, from from right here in and you're inside the frame and he can't separate. That's on Jermaine Johnson. That's his fault for not neutralizing the hands. That's his fault for not pulling away and separating. But if you're just standing there going like, ah, he's got me, that's not a hold. That's a win for the offensive line. So maybe let's calm down, folks, okay? <laughs> like, it, it, There is no referee that will ever throw a flag on that. It's one thing if he like, did a swim. You know, If you're doing a swim move and you pull your, your, your jersey away and there's a big old tug on that, yeah, they'll call that. But if you're just face-to-face, standing face-to-face with the offensive lineman, and you don't move, they're not going to call it, ever. Uh, and then uh, the hold on Sauce, yeah, it was a weak call. I'll, I'll give you that. That one was a weak call. So I, I both of them, unfortunately, went against the Jets, which is why Jets Twitter is so bad about it. Um, but it's it's one of those where it's like, you have to understand how refs call holding. They're not going to call holding on the Jermaine Johnson uh, rush right there. And uh, unfortunately, they are going to call holding on sauce. I wish they wouldn't in those kind of moments. I wish they would just let the guys play because in a high leverage moment, I think that refs really want to be on TV way too much. Um, And I, I personally would not have thrown the flag on sauce. I think it was a weak call, but at the same time, looking back at the replay, it is something that a lot of them are going to call. And so you just have to be aware of that. So I think there's an, a room for a nuanced opinion here of, 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 of just how refs operate, how I wish they would operate, but also being cognizant of how they actually operate. And I think, uh, you know, if I was a Jets fan, I would exercise my right to be mad, but I would forget about it the next week because that's just football. It's going to happen. Well, my nuanced opinion about this actually isn't about the referees at all. It's that Casey has officially won enough that the rest of the NFL is tiring of it. I'm not going to say sick of it, but they are tiring of it. And it's beginning to turn on them. And this is a tale as old as time. This happens to teams that are very successful for long enough. And the classic example is the Brady Patriots. Um, There have been other teams and dynasties throughout NFL history. And if you win enough games for long enough, you become the evil empire. I don't care who you are, how likable you are, how much, how you play the game. Like it's just going to happen. And right now it's not boiling. It's bubbling, but Mm -hmm. you are starting to see people going, yeah, I've had enough of that. Like I'm done with that. And not just division rivals that happens very quickly, but the general NFL populace still likes watching Chiefs football, but they're starting to be the sort of they're turning into movie villains because they always do. If you live long enough, you become the villain. Right. <laughs> and, you know, Patrick Mahomes at the end of the game, you know, doing his little scramble and then putting his arms out, flipping the ball to the crowd. Very Aaron Rodgers like 
um, in terms of, you know, I, <laughs> he, I've seen he knows that how move. to put on a show. <laughs> I've seen that move before uh, many times and uh, it will, you know, it will wear out the welcome, but the wear the welcome's going to wear out either way. There's no way you can't be all apple pie and Midwest and we're all happy go lucky and crushing the hell out of teams for like five, six, seven years in a row and not have people start to get salty about it. And the people are just, this feels like, not the tipping point, but like the starting point where people are just starting to be like, eh, I, I think screw those I think what put people, I think what put people over the ledge is, is, is the Taylor Swift stuff. And, and then seeing every single commercial Travis Kelsey has ever recorded in the same broadcast. There was like hey, seven shout of them. out, shout out to his <laughs> PR guy, to his, to his booking agent. Like that guy worked overtime in the off season and get your money, man. Like if you can, if you can book those spots and they want you for those, take them. And Travis took most of them by the look of it. And I got, I got no problem with that. Go get your But money, I think man. those, those two things definitely added in just, it was like the, the, oh, yeah. the last, the last Mentos that you put this. in the coat, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, and like you said, so many viewers, so many new viewers, best viewed games since the Super Bowl, and, you know, the, the quote unquote new evil empire winning, you know, with some, we'll just say questionable because it depends on what side you're on as to how you see it. I don't, I don't disagree with your explanation. Um, when I said, I hate the whole holding Twitter thing, it's that, uh, it's the approach to the whole thing. We'll, we'll talk about that. That's another show, but, um, yeah, you can start to see that little tinge on the shine of the chiefs where people are like, yeah, enough, like enough. Let's be honest. We all wanted to see Zach Wilson win that game just for the narrative. Uh, the narrative would have been amazing. I, I love the way he played and I think he wrote his own narrative and, and, you know, film don't lie, ball don't lie. Um, he, he put a great game of quarterbacking in all phases. And that's what we haven't seen. We've seen flashes. We've seen sporadic stuff. He played a very, very solid game at quarterback. Like it was fun to watch because he's a talented guy, uh, but he hasn't done that in the past. It is new. Uh, and it did, in my opinion, change the course of how he's going to be viewed around the league. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, uh, this was a jam-packed episode. Um, I think we're over an hour and a half at this point, so I think we'll yep. wrap it up here. Again, we have our Thursday night live stream coming up later this week. If you want to, if you want to uh, see us again, uh, talk out our asses about. <laughs> if football. you've not had enough of our evil empire, um, you know, I don't think we've reached that point yet. We're not big enough, but hopefully we. Get I there. cannot promise. By the way, that we're going to be sober for that Thursday stream because it's oh, no. uh, Bears Commanders. <laughs> it's going to be bad. It's going to be I, real I, bad. <laughs> I committed to doing a post game show for that one. So, um, oh, you're going to be done, dude. <laughs> I am. Yeah, it's uh, it's to it help out our good friend Bill Zimmerman. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to the opportunity. It's always fun to work with Bill, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. I have a feeling because Commanders are, as we said at the top, a good young. Uh, fairly well put together football team and the bears are uh, not that. So. I think half hour before kickoff. So like four 45 Pacific time, seven, seven 45 uh, East coast time is uh, when we're kicking off that live stream. So I hope you guys join us for that. And then uh, on Friday we have our week five preview show coming out. Um, so hope you guys come back uh, again. Check out homage. You know, look at the the starter jackets if you're interested in a starter jacket for your team or anything for your team. They have an NFL license and they have like 30 ish items for every single team. 
Um, anything you guys buy from Homage directly supports the show. So we appreciate all of your support for both your team and for us. Uh, and with that, EJ, I'll see you in a couple of days.